The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for May 13th, 2022. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you from Austin, Texas, getting ready to fly on out to Pennsylvania. Going to try and run down three different campaigns in two days. It will be a challenge, but I think we can do it. Before we leave, though, we have some stuff to go over, including a meltdown from a former McCain staffer turned Lincoln Project founder against Meghan McCain unearthed a confession from him about something that happened oh so many years ago, specifically in 2008. It was one of the stories that, in my opinion, signaled to a generation of voters that the press was never going to treat Republicans equally. And and, and I will say the press euphemistically, because what I really mean is the New York Times. It is the story that came out in February of 2008, revealing through then unnamed sources that John McCain had had an affair with a lobbyist. Now that that has been proven true, question mark, by admission uh, of... One of the campaign's advisors, Steve Schmidt, we revisit that entire situation. The inflation news is in and it ain't good. And there is one Democrat, Katie Porter, who desperately wants to sound the alarm, despite the fact that Democrats seem a little resistant to admitting that inflation is something that is desperately going to hurt them in the midterms. And we will take a listen to another conversation between myself. Andrew Heaton, and Jen Briney, who's still in town. It's actually a clip from a larger project. I wonder what that larger project could be. Hmm. All that. Bird first. This has been a very, very, very uh, eventful week and a half on in, in the world of politics, but I would say also in political Twitter. But this, of all the subplots, has got to be one of the weirdest. Lincoln Project founder Steve Schmidt decided to melt down about Meghan McCain. See, the former View host has a new book out called Bad Republican, and according to news reports, it only sold a few hundred copies. That report we have no idea the veracity of it, was enough of, of, of a reason for Schmidt to take to Twitter and empty his notebook of grievances about the television, television personality McCain, who is both an author and, yes, I don't know if you've heard, the daughter of presidential candidate and senator John McCain. So, what's Schmidt complaining about? 
Well, Megan was a brat during the 2008 campaign. She not only barred him from uh, John McCain's funeral, but leaked that he wasn't invited. She's an entitled, entitled, spoiled, ill-tempered, failed daughter. Which, for Megan McCain, who endured the constant stream of social media abuse from daytime television watchers for years as the token conservative of The View during the Trump administration, feels a little mild. But Schmidt, amongst all of his word vomit, including rehashing other stuff like internal John McCain campaign politicking and his endless feud against Sarah Palin, for which he was the chief source for the book Game Change, at least on the McCain side, was one fresh new bit of data. It's from his time as a uh, advisor for that McCain 2008 campaign. It's an article that has all been relegated to history, but one that I think plays a key role in distrust for the New York Times when it comes to political coverage. February 2008. Headline. For McCain, comma, self-confidence on ethics poses its own risk. The article published after McCain looked uh, to be the Republican nominee to challenge Barack Obama details the candidate's complicated relationship with lobbying. Some of it is known, but ancient history. He was publicly embarrassed as one of the Keating Five Savings and Loan scandal. He then became a champion against special interests, passing the McCain-Feingold campaign finance law. But there was one interesting new tidbit in that article, that McCain had a relationship that some in his orbit thought to be romantic with a lobbyist named Vicki Eisman. The article described Eisman as a fixture in McCain's office, and once she started to show up at events, his team became suspicious. The Eisman reporting contains no on-the-record sources. In 2008, this was a bombshell. Coming out of the George W. Bush era, America wanted a fresh start, and there was a fresh-faced senator from Illinois who could offer it to him. But still, there was that thorn in old W's side from the 2000s primary, who was conservative but pragmatic who jokingly once described the media as his quote-unquote constituency and let them get near-unlimited access to him during the 2000 primaries. But back then, when he was a darling of the media, he was a spoiler to a second-generation president in the making, and a Republican, no less. Now, John McCain was a legit candidate coming out of a tumultuous primary in 2008. And so, according to conservatives, this is when the hatchets came out. Instead of John McCain being able to enjoy the benefits of his relationships with the media when they had painted him favorably back then, he got the exact same treatment that 
every single Republican candidate for president gets unfair and unwarranted and unequal scrutiny. Enter this article. John McCain is a cheater. I'm going to read here from the article. That February, Mr. McCain and Miss Eisman attended a small fundraising di- dinner with several clients at the Miami-era home of a cruise line executive. I'm going to add here that uh, that is almost certainly uh, Mickey Arison, who worked with Vicky Eisman as a lobbyist and owns the Miami Heat. Go Heat. We continue reading. And then flew back to Washington along with the campaign aide on the corporate jet of one of her clients, Paxson Communications. By then, according to two former McCain associates, some of the senator's advisors had grown so concerned that the relationship had become romantic that they took steps to intervene. A former campaign advisor described being instructed to keep Miss Eisman away from the senator at public events while a Senate aide recalled plans to limit Ms. Eisman's access to his offices. In interviews, two former associates said they joined in a series of confrontations with Mr. McCain, warning him that he was risking his campaign and career. Both said that Mr. McCain acknowledged behaving inappropriately and pledged to keep his distance from Ms. Eisman. The two associates, who said that they had become disillusioned with the senator, spoke independently of each other and provided details that were corroborated by others. End quote. This week, in a substack that collected a lot of his ramblings from Twitter, Schmidt said publicly that McCain confessed to him about the Iceman affair. So, first things first. In hindsight, was that article a smear? In my opinion, yes. The story is a greatest hits of John McCain opposition opposition research that they would that Democrats and the Barack Obama campaign was happy to have out there in the open. The unsourced hints at an affair are simply the news peg. The reason why you are running this article right now. And let me also point this out. John McCain would not be the first politician to cheat on his wife. But either you have the goods that this definitely happened or you don't. This article did not. And without somebody risking their career on the record to say something about it, in my opinion... That affair is not strong enough of a news peg to bring up everything else along with it. You want to do a retrospective on Keating? Sure, do that. It's going to be old news and you're going to be criticized for running old news. Why are you dredging it up now? But at least it would be honest. Or you could find another reason to justify bringing it up. And let me also point out that it doesn't matter if later you are proven to be right. That is not the the ethics in journalism. Ethics in journalism are to have what you need nailed down and then move on. And by the way, if the times were really on a fair watch, 
and they were moving with a fine-tooth comb through every candidate's personal history to see who had a wandering D, well, then maybe they would have found another presidential candidate who was having an affair during that 2008 cycle. Because it was indeed on the Democratic side that John Edwards impregnated his videographer while his wife was suffering from what we now know is terminal cancer. So, there's that. And before we get into something more salacious, let me also point out the larger kind of implications in terms of, you know, generationally there being a, a signal that the New York Times was never going to play fair with the Republican candidates. There is a moment that I've heard from people younger than me that are, are more on the right now that they realize that, oh, things are really tilted against Republicans. And that is Mitt Romney. That Mitt Romney was the last, and, and I hear this from MAGA people, that Mitt Romney, if, if, the, if the press isn't going to treat Mitt Romney fair, then no Republican was ever going to get treated fair. Because he was the most moderate, the most clean, the most, the hardest uh, 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 drink he's ever drank is a glass of warm milk kind of guy. And the fact that he became Mr. Burns, who abuses dogs, tells you everything that you need to know. But for me, it was this article. It was, wait a minute, why is this important now? Why does this get brought up now? And then the more you, you delve into this world and you realize that, look, infidelity isn't exactly something that has everybody clutching their pearls in D.C., it just seemed egregious. But let's get to the juicy part, huh? Did the Big Mac smash? Maybe. Full disclosure, from afar, I found Steve Schmidt to be a bit of a slippery character. He seems allergic to taking any blame himself. He seems to center himself in almost every story he tells. Uh, specifically in this whole thing, he loves to remind everybody that he didn't get paid to work on the McCain campaign, which is 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 just, I don't know, it, it seems to belay a little bit of uh, uh, how the man operates. His spurned relationship with John McCain, for me, as a viewer, has long been publicly embarrassing for him. And also, I truly loathe the Lincoln Project. I find them to be grifters who exacerbate the worst elements of our politics. But in Schmidt's defense, there's no denying that he had a lot of access to John McCain. And based on what he wrote, I believe that he believed John McCain was having an affair at the time. Why? All right, everybody put on your tinfoil hats. Justin's got a Justin's got a conspiracy theory for you. You ready for this? I suspect that Steve Schmidt might have been among the unnamed sources in the original New York Times story. In Schmidt's substack, he says that John McCain denied he'd had a relationship with the lobbyist, quote, dozens of times to my face, unquote, before the Times article came out. So we know 
that he had suspicion something was going on before the Times article came out. After the story comes out, he says it was his job to wrangle Iceman, specifically being forced to talk to her for hours on end. At one point, he describes Iceman, who seems to be a bit of a crazy pants with silly sauce, that when Schmidt's young children are heard in the background, Iceman says that she wishes his children were dead so that Schmidt could feel the pain that she felt when John McCain simply described her as a good friend. Presumably not something romantically more. But what if, this is just a hypothetical, the ever-shrewd Schmidt thought that this was going on before the Times article came out, which he seemingly admitted in his substack. What if he got a call from a Times reporter looking to confirm off-the-record rumors? What if, quote, a former campaign advisor described as being instructed to keep Miss Eisman away from the senator at public events, end quote, that is from the original New York Times article, was the man in question. He certainly was doing that job after. We don't know when he started, but we do know he did suspect. Maybe he had more than just a suspicion. So why, why, oh why, would Schmidt do such a thing? Especially since he takes a lot of time to discuss how it was he in his former role as chief protector for John McCain during 2008 that helped tamp these rumors down. I can think of a few reasons to save the candidate from himself. If the only way that John McCain would stop seeing Vicky Eisman was if he knew that it was about to get out or had just getting out, then... From the perspective of a campaign advisor, it's better for that story to break in February than October. But, you know, that's just speculation. Hey, by the way, Eisman did sue the Times. They settled out of court and the Times put a correction at the bottom of that article saying that they did not and uh, uh, did not infer that John McCain and Eisman had a romantic relationship. As for Steve Schmidt, well, he certainly has a very busy Twitter account. I wonder if the bird app is paying him by the word, because that man writes a lot. Meghan McCain, aside from liking a few uh, spicy tweets, insulting Schmidt, has yet to come back and talk about him. And aside from having a reason to talk about this article, if I never talk about Steve Schmidt again, it'll. Probably be too soon. Hey, what do you say we quote the New York Times again? The pressures that have kept inflation inflated for months remain strong. Fresh data released Wednesday showed a challenge for households that are trying to shoulder rising expenses and for the White House and Federal Reserve as they try to put the economy on a steadier path. Annual inflation moderated for the first time in months in April but the Consumer Price Index still increased by 8.3%, an uncomfortably rapid pace. At the same time, a closely watched measure that subtracts food and fuel costs 
accelerated. I'm going to stop reading from the Times here and remind everybody that last month's Consumer Price Index report that showed that that number had moderated a little bit has now accelerated again. So that is bad, bad, bad news for the White House. We return to the Times. The so-called core price measure, which strips out groceries and gas, picked up 0.6% in April from the prior month, faster than its 0.3% increase in March. Central bankers and economists monitor that data point as they try to gauge where inflation is headed. And so the question that everybody wants to ask and the Democrats want to ask even louder is, is this peak inflation? Well, they better hope so. Inflation kills presidencies dead. It's just what happens. The stock market is down. Other hedges against inflation, including uh, rare metals and uh, crypto coin, are also down. Not a lot of people are happy when it comes to money-related issues. And when the money's not right, nothing is right. So, since we are a politics podcast, how do these players play politically? Well, if you're on the Republican side, it's easy. Were you better under Donald Trump or Joe Biden economically? That's going to be a winning position for them. And boy, howdy, are they going to play that one like it was hey yeah in 1994, sorry, 2005? By the time that midterms roll around in November. How about Democrats? Well, how about this little bit from Politico? When Representative Katie Porter gave an emotional speech about how inflation had been hitting her family for months during a private House Democratic caucus meeting last week, she said it seemed for the first time the personal toll of high consumer prices had sunk in for some lawmakers in the room. Quote Porter. Too often, Congress recognizes issues too late. I had a colleague mention to me, we're not seeing it in the polls. Well, you don't know what to ask then. I mean, you know, maybe uh, uh, maybe the Democrats will pay attention if they have a list of 12 bipartisan experts that tell them that inflation is a political problem. Maybe then they can pay attention to it. We go back to Politico. For Porter, the episode revealed how much Democrats still need to do to assure voters that they understand everyday anxieties, particularly inflation strain on family budgets. And she's not alone. Some Democrats have warned for months that their party is falling short when it comes to communicating to an increasingly exasperated public. A little bit later, we're, you're going to clue into our conversation with, uh, or my conversation with Andrew Heaton and Jen Briney. And we're going to discuss a little bit more of at what point for them kitchen table issues rise to the to the the level of fix this, Mr. President. But there's no doubt that economic anxiety is king when it comes to the mind of voters. They don't want to hear excuses. They don't want to hear reasons. They want to hear is it good, or they, they want to know it's good and not think about it, or if it's bad, they want to hear about when it's going to get good again and what you're doing to make it there. But unless the Democrats 
wrap their head around the fact that this is a bigger problem, boy. I mean, look, I know that there's a lot of folks who want to focus on January 6th, and I'm not saying it's any less important than you thought about it yesterday. What I'm saying is in the minds of voters, people who are actually going to determine whether or not you get to return to your phony baloney jobs, it's number one. By the time you guys hear this, I am going to be on a plane to Pennsylvania. I'm going to try to run down campaign stops from Dr. Oz, from Dave McCormick, from Kathy Barnett. This has now become a three-way match as they tussle with each other for the uh, GOP Senate nomination for, in all likelihood, the rights to face Mr. John Fetterman from the Democrats. Will Barnett pull off the upset? She just got a big, big cash infusion for ads from Club for Growth. She's getting a a lot of uh, last-minute vetting, including the Washington Examiner, a right-leaning publication that was upset by the fact that her press team did not get back some basic answers on her past. But still, that'll be interesting. We're, we're going to be up there for a couple days, and I'm going to be on the run working hard for you. The only way that this happens is because you pay me to do it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you go. Sign up at the $3 level. You get the bonus episodes, including this Sunday's bonus episode, which will be the first time that anybody hears any of the sound that I am getting on the road, along with the breakdown of the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday shows. And then, of course, Thursday, the late edition, which is the latest news we cover during the week. You can get that at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Head on over there now. Thank you to everybody who has already supported Jen Briney of the Congressional Dish is in town. So, me, Andrew Heaton, and her have uh, tried to make it our business to record a couple podcasts. Some have theorized that maybe this chemistry of all of us talking together is so good that it should, I don't know, be another thing. And so, with that mystery fresh in your mind, I'm going to bring you a clip from something. That includes me, Andrew Heaton, and Jen Briney talking. If you've heard any of our political triad episodes, you will will understand the vibe here. A heads up for anybody who is listening to this with their young children or uh, with your parents and, and you don't necessarily want to hear anything too spicy, this conversation is a little bit more freewheeling, free, uh, freewheeling than we have on PX3. Things are bleeped, but know that the Madison Cawthorn tape is described in full and graphic detail. 
Here is a clip from an unnamed project starring myself, Andrew Eaton, and Jen Briney. So th- there are two things that that uh, were in the news today that I just wanted to ask you guys in general, a generalized question. So the two things that, that struck me in the news were, number one, there's a nationwide shortage on baby formula, which is something where I had long said with COVID, if COVID was killing kids at the rate that it killed old people, there would there would be police officers patrolling the streets to keep everybody. We'd be China, right? Like, like, like and nobody would be allowed to be welded into your apartments because we protect, you know, babies. Won't somebody please think, think of, of the, the children. children? Exactly. So that is always going to be an outsized thing. Uh, a baby formula uh, having a nationwide shortage. There's reasons for that that are outside the government control. Uh, gas is now up to a national average uh, $60 for an average tank, which is very high. Uh, there is uh, for audio listeners. There is a, a scoff from a, a, a public, uh, a public transportation advocate, Jen Friday. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we've made our choices. Uh, so obviously, especially going into an election year for, for, for midterms where, the uh, Republicans want to sweep into power for the House and the Senate. The question then becomes on issues like this, where obviously government can intervene in the case of gas, there are levers for which the federal government can pull. What is your line for when things like this become a blame the president issue or blame the government issue? Or is there a line? I mean, these gas companies are still the most profitable companies in the world. Like at any point, are we going to say price gouging here? Like, I just, I don't understand how it's Joe Biden's fault that these companies are charging whatever the hell they want. Like at some point we have to blame the private sector for the prices they choose to charge or put price controls on or that. Yeah. Well, price controls. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) So the thing about this is my favorite. We've done two shows together. This is my favorite moment. We should call this poke the heat and is getting 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 the collectivist opinion out of Jen and then immediately throwing it to a visually upset (laughs) heat. Price controls don't work. They they create shortages. The problem with price controls yeah, is- The price that, is too high, Heaton. Huh? The, the price is too high now. Right. So you should lower it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, if you do that, yeah. then you, you have another problem, which is you get hoarding. You like you lower it too much, then people end up just getting it. I, I, I don't think that that's a, a good thing to do. You could like- I've never thought about like baby food before. If ha- having like a strategic reserve of baby food or something like that, maybe. Yeah. Um, Which, but- by the way, that is happening because Abbott had a contamination at one of their plants. And so that is part of the reason why there is a very acute nationwide shortage right now, for which I would say if there is any group of companies that I think owes the U.S. one. Uh, I would say among them is the big pharma for which we're continuing to buy vaccines and Abbott for which we have bought thousands and thousands and thousands of COVID tests. Like, yeah. like they are a company that like I, I'm 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 here for a private public partnership, but it's been a pretty sweet ride for Abbott over the last two years. But just the fact that this one company controls 40 percent of our supply, we have a major antitrust issue in this country and we have to start enforcing our antitrust laws again. So that's another part of it. If one company had, you know, 
five, 10% of the supply, then we wouldn't be in the type of trouble that we're in now. And it's not just, you know, that there's all kinds of consolidation issues, including with gas. Um, you know, we're, it's, it's fascinating to me that we are one of the highest oil producers in the world. And yet we allow these companies to export so much of it that we are subject to these price shocks. And it's like, at what point are we going to tell these giant multinationals that you owe our country something and we're not doing that. So we're the, letting them it, take it and but, sell but, it all over the world. But it sounds like that while you might disagree with the problems that some people on the right would say, uh, uh, or sorry, you might disagree with, with these solutions. You do think that there should be more of a concerted effort by somebody in the federal government to get that problem under control. Yeah. I think a lot of our problems could be solved with some antitrust enforcement and Biden has put some good people in charge, but it's been a year and a half. I'm not really seeing anything being broken up. So I guess in that regard, Biden can be blamed, but when global oil surprise and or supplies and prices are controlled by this cartel that we're not a part of, like there's just, there's a lot of president blaming that goes on that on this one, I'm just, I, I agree with that. I, th- I mean, like, like oil prices are fungible. That is to say that they're like oil, oil yeah. goes across lines that you can exchange it. Um, it reverberates, but it, it all basically reaches a, a homeostasis at some point in terms of prices. So if OPEC's doing something, Russia and Ukraine probably affects the oil supply chain. Putin's price hike. Uh, yeah. When I, when I was um, <laughs> like, and there are things that the president can do too. And I don't know the specifics on this, but like, for example, if they're not opening Anwar or they're not, they're not authorizing the Keystone pipeline, those things will also affect that. Uh, or um, authorizing no. refineries to operate. We got to put a pause on that one because we rescinded the oil export ban few years ago. I think it was late Obama. Um, so if you open up Anwar, you're just giving the multinationals more supply. If you open the Keystone XL pipeline, you're just taking Canadian tar stands. We're taking all the risk to get it down into the Gulf and we will refine it there so that they can sell it all over the world. So you're just adding more supply to the same exact people that are jacking up our prices, not giving us a discount for being the people that are taking all the environmental risks. Like if, unless we say some of this oil belongs to us, then drilling more on our land, risking our lands, like we're not actually helping the situation or having some kind of like profit controls, for, maybe for, not I, even I price have, controls, but profit controls. I, I have no problem holding companies accountable for spills and things like that. And I'd even go a step further and like go like full Georgist to your point on like value added from companies. Like I like, I'm so sorry. This is going to get real archaic for everybody listening. I like Georgism. Buckle up. Georgism, Georgism was the idea. By that, the way, that all that frozen fetus stuff, that was, that was the light comedic uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, intro. That was the fun little musical uh, number. Now we're going to get into the hard hitting so, so what, serious stuff. Yeah. So what, like what Georgia said was, Hey, if you build something or you create a company or, or through some act of innovation or labor, you create value. We're not going to tax you on that. What we're going to tax you on is the stuff you didn't create. So like natural resources or things that are resulting from the city itself. So if you've got a business that's located next to a subway stop, we're going to tax you for the the, the value you get from the proximity of the subway stop. If you're going to build a refinery on top of an oil field, we're going to tax you for the oil because these are not things you built. These are things that society provided to you or nature provided to you. I like that. I'm okay with that idea. I don't like the idea of like having profit control. I think that that would have too many, um, too many unforeseen 
externalities that would happen as a result of it. Uh, I do want to pose a question to the group, though. I'm going to go, go. left for a minute. Go. Um, the higher oil prices get, would that not have a positive effect for green technology as people would be more inclined to adopt batteries and things like that? I mean, maybe, but again, this all comes back down to infrastructure. The reason people aren't driving electric cars is not because electric cars aren't awesome. My dad drives one. We'd love it. But my dad has a garage that he can plug it into. So people can't rely on electric cars. Every single person that lives in an apartment in the United States, and there's a lot of us, we can't charge our cars. So we haven't invested in the infrastructure that allow these alternatives to thrive in the way that you would want them to. And so you know, this is why, like, I'm finding the infrastructure law that I'm reading right now to be such a wasted opportunity because we didn't prepare ourselves for this situation. We really are stuck on vehicle infrastructure. Um, they're doing as much as they possibly can with utilities. In fact, as you know, we are in Austin right now. This last weekend was hotter than hell, and ERCOT had trouble with the power again. Oh, I uh, yeah. come into Texas. Can't handle the heat. What? It was. It was in the nineties. It was literally. It was a heat index of 108 as I was sitting outside on Saturday. I mean, I was outside. Jin is right, and Justin is a meteorological pervert. If such (laughs) a thing exists, he is that. (laughs) Yeah, so ERCOT had problems again, but they were saying that because there's so much wind that's been installed in West Texas that it really saved the grid Hmm. this weekend. So it's like we're getting their own utilities. I was talking to my husband this morning, utility scale solar engineer. They're putting all kinds of systems in right now and they're adding batteries to these all the time. So utility scale, we're getting there quite quickly, but on the individual scale, like the only way to protect yourself from oil shocks is to not have gas on your stoves. You need to have better alternatives. You need to have these electric car chargers. And until we do that, you're kind of stuck. And we're not investing in those things. So I just, okay. But I think for the argument for heat and for heat for Heaton's point, like, is there even let's even if your your preferred solution is that government invest in the right infrastructure that then would create more of an uh, a, a movement from the populace to take advantage of it. If oil is high and it stays high, then that also opens up private sector uh, uh, pushing to to create some of this infrastructure, which a lot of the 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 electrical grid right now for charging cars, you know, on on the road was largely built by private companies. Right. Tesla did a lot of it. um, But in my experience and I'm coming from the Bay Area, which is one of the best places for driving an electric car. It was public chargers that we were using. Okay. But we had on the island of Alameda, I'm going to say we had about 20 Tesla chargers and we had eight public chargers for everyone that lived on the island. It was a real pain in the ass um, to do that. And that's in one of the best scenarios in the country. That's like local city, county stuff that is like by putting money into it as well. Yeah. And the thing was that like our city hall was down to do this because they were charging for that. So the city was making money back and it was fine, but there were so many fossil fuel drivers that they didn't want to give up the the spots. And it was like a whole thing. I went to the city council meetings when I lived there, but I didn't live there long. I was going to fight it. Um, But it's, there is going to have to be either public infrastructure or requirements. Cause if we're going to do the, you charge at home thing, like I said, all the apartment dwellers, there's nowhere for them to go. So they're all, there might have to be government telling these private 
yeah. companies, like you have to put these in the parking spots. Maybe we'll help you pay for it. But right now they don't have to, and they're, or they're not investing in it. And so it's just, it's really hard to drive an electric car. But that said, the answer for Andrew's question is kind of yes, because on the cons- consumer level, I know that there are people that are already looking at electric cars that weren't before. Cause my sister is driving mine. Um, she's in LA and she took my car, which was just parked at my dad's when the gas prices spiked. And now she doesn't want to give it back. <laughs> so that's the conversation we're having now. Yeah. She's pissed off. I'm taking my car for the summer. Um, she wants me to take her fossil fuel thing. Cause she's, I'm not going to drive it that much, but I'm like, no bitch, I invested in the electric car. <laughs> like, no, this is my car. But like, she's never wanted it before. Never had an interest in it. And now it's like a I, thing. I have another question that you might know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to. Is there an easy way to look up uh, where a city's power comes from? Because if you're, mm-hmm. if you're charging, like, I don't know in Austin, Texas, where our power comes from. If, if it's renewable, then an electric car would be great. If it's cold, then you just have a coal powered car. I don't know. Um, but I, I assume that there's some way to find that out. Do you know if there's like a database or anything? I mean, you'll really, all you have to do is look at your utility bill because you're paying a company and all you have to do is call them and ask hmm, okay. what their sources are. Um, but that's why the switch that is happening on the utility scale, um, it's, I mean, here in Texas, you're looking at either natural gas or wind. Um, California, you're actually pretty likely to be renewable at this point. Um, So it really depends on where you are. But coal has become so unaffordable. Um, Like, that's a good point. But yeah, it's phasing out naturally anyway. It is. And it's the market that's doing it, which is really beautiful because, you know, husband talks about it all the time when Uh he started in this 10 years ago. Beautiful market. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) But when he started in this 10 years ago, it's like solar was more expensive. Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful market with Andrew Heaton and his associates. It's being a hot air balloon with money bags. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, 10 years ago, the, um, there was a lot of incentives for solar power and they were really necessary And then they were phasing out. And I was asking him, like, I'm looking at all these bills. They're phasing out your credits. Are you freaking out? And he's like, no, we don't need them anymore. (laughs) And so that's really been a big change over the decade that I don't think a lot of people are aware of that aren't in that business. You can hear it in congressional hearings a little bit, but like, yeah, it's, it's switching real quick. that that, That seems to be a sign of government done well about incentivizing people to, Mm -hmm. to get in that business because that was, and that was a large part of, uh, uh, you know, if, if regardless of what you think of Elon Musk, Tesla being a brand that made electric cars, a status symbol and, and cool was something that helped pave the way for the fact that, that, that a lot of electric cars, which were having a hard time getting off the ground before now are, are out there. And a lot of the, anybody I knew who bought a Tesla, like part of their selling package was like, well, here's what you're going to save in gas, but also here's what you get in whatever tax write-off or rebate yeah. for buying an electric car. Yeah. Well, my car, we got a rebate, I think of like $8,000, which put it right in the same range as a fossil fuel guzzler would have been. And so, and that was a good chunk of that was California state. So there yeah. was some federal money, but then California state made it even with the fossil fuel car. And even though we had to jump through hoops to charge it, we decided to do it because we wanted to be the early adopters. And so I feel like faced with the same financial decision 
I think a lot of people, if the chargers would, were there, they would be more than happy to get the electric cars. I, I will throw in, you, you can mess up these incentives and it's happened with batteries specifically. Uh, Arizona 10, 15 years ago did a thing where they were trying, it wasn't batteries. It was like, it was um, liquid natural gas, but they were trying to shift over to that because it's cleaner than, than regular gasoline. So they made a law that like, if you install liquid natural gas tanks on your car, we'll just, the state will pay for 40% or something like that of your car. And so all these guys went, do I have to use them? And they're like, well, no, but of course you would want to. And they were like, great. And they would just strap them on and, and it did nothing. It just ended up, mm. Arizona just gave handouts to everybody yeah. that wanted to get a new car for like 30% off. Um, so be careful. Anybody that's joining the state legislature, be real careful with incentives. Well, yeah, they have to be carefully considered. And this is like what I'm preaching all the time. And this is why I'm concerned that we have a $40 billion bill that's unexamined and being passed tonight. Like we do need these things to be carefully crafted. And I think California did a good go job. But, wrong. Oh, if so Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell over. agree on something, you know, it's good. Well, you know, that, <laughs> you know, that, you know, that it was there when the when Biden was asking for 33 and it went to 40 and, and McConnell's like, like, oh, yeah, this is great. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You guys don't agree on anything. And yet that got seven billion dollars more expensive. And both of you guys are on it like that. I have questions. I have questions of exactly how much is even going to Ukraine. And and uh, uh, oh, boy, Ooh, I, I don't know. I don't know. And because uh, we haven't been able to look at the bill, we don't know how much is guaranteed to go where. Written. I mean, no, no, I think no, the, the, the it house wasn't is voting, written as the of house this morning. Is voting on it now. Uh, it will probably be voted on on the Senate either tonight or tomorrow. I, well, can't, I checked I at 12 o'clock Eastern and no one had seen the text of the bill. And I think we're recording this at seven. No, Eastern. Yeah, I, I know oh, it's I, nine. I, I, Marjorie Taylor Greene was, was holding paper and yelling on Twitter before we, we started recording. So it's I think. It's annoying when she's there. right. But on this one, she's right. Yeah. This is not okay. Yeah. And it happens all the time. So I'm, I'd imagine that. That, that and high intensity workouts. <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's right on two things. Do you remember Paul Ryan's workout pictures? Oh, oh God, God. Yes. God, yeah. those are the best. <laughs> My, about like right before that happened, Michael Steele was the the head of the not the GOP, the, the functionally the head of the Republican Party. Yeah, and like the week he left, he took pictures with all the interns where they would do like back to back James Bond Charlie's Angels oh, picks. God, it was great. It actually, really made me like Michael Steele. <laughs> uh, it was it was it was heartwarming. But yeah, the the uh, man, the Paul Ryan one that was brutal. Isn't so Michael good. Steele the one that brought the GOP credit card to sex clubs? Uh, maybe I don't, that would maybe like it more too. Yeah. I mean, I want to go to a Madison Cawthorn party. Can I, okay. I was on a I show. Do. Really, it sounds really fun. Reference Madison Cawthorn. I'm unfamiliar with Madison Cawthorn. All right. Who is this person? So we, here's, here's the Madison Cawthorn segment. So he is the youngest, uh, representative mm -hmm. in the house. And by he far the six, hottest. 62. <laughs> 57. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, he's, yeah. So whatever he's, he's right at the line. Like he was like AOC age uh -huh. when, when, when he got in, he's a military guy that got into a car accident. So he's in a wheelchair. Uh, he's he in is, a wheelchair. You didn't know that. Well, I saw a video of him like last week, his friend's face. How did he do that? He's got great upper body strength. Hey there. Heaton here. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. 
okay. like he partied. Right. Are, are we seeing porn? What's the okay? All right, all right. Hold on. So all <laughs> this starts because he goes on this YouTube channel that's a fairly uh, religious, military-oriented workout channel, uh, and they're having like a, a discussion about a bunch of stuff. Blah blah blah. Fairly standard boilerplate. Cawthorn was a fan of the channel, so he's kind of fanboying. And then the host asked him this question: How much like House of Cards? Is DC really? And Cawthorn says, uh, well, two things specifically. I've been asked to go to parties that I later found out were sex parties and people for whom have been on the leading end of eradicating drugs in the country have pulled out cocaine and done key bumps in front of me. Which I believe, by yeah, the way. I totally buy that. A hundred percent. I believe <laughs> both of those things have definitely I, I happened say, in I, D.C. I lived in D.C. for a couple of years. I was never invited to a sex party. Should I feel bad about this? You're not as pretty as Madison Cochran. Okay. He's right. a Fair. beautiful man. Yeah. <laughs> not that you're not. You're gorgeous. Thanks. No, I'm no Madison Cochran. We can all agree on that. I mean, you're certainly taller. Oh my god! He's in a. He makes a lot of jokes about it. It's fine. What is he gonna do? Cancel me? Wait, so does uh, he have an OnlyFans? What or like so this video leak? Everything breaks loose from here. Uh, yeah. He uh, uh, gets uh, reprimanded by the congressional Republicans. He has to apologize. Say he definitely did. He say didn't. Republicans specifically. I mean, I guess these are no, no, probably the drug he's, people. Yeah, so he, it's yeah. his caucus. So Kevin McCarthy comes down on him. Bunch of people start like, like say, oh, I don't know that. Did Kevin crazy. take off his eyes wide shut shut mask first? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He, he he issued the password Fidelio and then told him tut tut, uh, uh, young Cawthorn. Which kind of gave away the game that they weren't just like, oh, he was talking about Democrats. Like they never did that. Nope. They <laughs> definitely got very mad very quickly. So a few things happen right after that. Number one, he attempts to board a plane with a loaded gun. That's embarrassing for him. Uh, there's a picture no, that'll get of him elected him. in a red state. If, yeah. he, if he gets like, like he has a deep, deep plane. Cause I just wanted to bring a gun on. Yeah. He, uh, I didn't even hear about that one. No one cares. He has a picture leaked of him in a dress that was from, he says, a cruise that that he was on. But then the big thing is <laughs> FireMadison.com, which is a website that Can has I check a this video out? on it. No, it's been taken down. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Boo. But it is... Well, you want to know what Jen can do? Would you like to describe the video? Because clearly uh, uh, you saw it. it. You well, saw it. I was looking for an unblurred version, which I could not find. But you see... Madison on top of a bed and like apparently there's a person where the blur is and he's like his friend's face like definitely a frat boy kind of thing it didn't seem like a sex act to the way, me the way that yeah the way that I described it is if you've ever been in like a group where like uh, uh you know everybody's hanging out you all partied the night before and slowly people are waking up and there's always one straggler who's asleep Later than yeah. everybody. And so like basically teabag him. Yeah, you would throw water or something. He's a bit aggro, more aggro <laughs> than I think the average bear. And so the funny joke of waking up the friend is not like, you know, uh, uh, putting a feather under their nose. It's uh, humping his face naked. It, oh, and we have the video. Some follow up questions. Is this is he pantomiming this or is this actual 
insertion? We do not know. Because it's blurred. No, no, no. I saw the video. I saw the unblurred video. You saw the unblurred video? Before it got taken off. Yeah. On (sighs) Uh, firemadison.com. You need to be sending these things to Which, by the way, was posted by... Uh, uh, a dude who's running for state Senate in North Carolina and has former Obama staffer in his Twitter account. So like it was fairly clearly a, 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 a bipartisan t- sex party. Well, no, no, not, not, <laughs> not that sex party. I mean, like he posted it on, on the made fire madison.com had a donation link too, by the way, of course so it does. Cash in. Uh, uh, but th- he says on the on the website, it said this was sent to us by a Cawthorn donor and uh, we don't know who it is and what their ages are. So raising a bunch of questions. But it looked like frat boy to me. It did not look like he was inserting his penis okay. into no. the mouth of the other person. This is an important distinction. Yeah. Honestly, this no, is it, like, if this were really in a court is. of law, I'd it be was, like, yes, which what? is why I tuned in to look at it. I was like, is this a sex thing or is this like a boys being boy? Cause like, how I've many hours did you watch this? Cause it's that very little, short. it's very okay. short. And, and it's like and two you know, hours. And you know that it's, yeah. <laughs> and it was very quick. That was me like, okay, he's like slapping his friend's face with his, dick, but this isn't like yeah. a gay thing. This well, is, I mean, yeah, uh, who knows? In, 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 in the Kinsey spectrum, I don't know exactly where that lands, but like it, it is not gay sex. It is not like like he was caught getting his uh, sucked or anything like that. No. This, so is he in trouble? It's funny. So he is up for reelection. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, this was meant uh, uh, to dissuade he, so people this from. He has no shame him, about it. Hurt like like he thinks he's going to win this election. Like he's not. And Pulling to out. be honest, that video, <laughs> yeah, that that video was the first time that I saw some of the people in the right word element of at least my Twitter follows the rabble rousers on the right that were like, oh, no, he's right. And now we need to stick up for him because like first it was. They 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 made him apologize to all the other uh, Republican congressmen and say that he was lying. Then they somebody leaks the picture of him in the dress. And now this like and, and the way I would describe it is like it's Vegas boys trip. Like whether or not you are the yeah. kind of crew that thrusts your penis into your sleeping friend's face. I, I think it is safe to say that those dudes exist uh, uh, they are out there. That is a breed of dude. I'm that, friends that, with a bunch of them. They're really fun. Yes. And they, it had that vibe. They roam, they roam <laughs> the earth. They yeah. are among you. They, they are think, your fathers and your bosses yeah. and your Subway sandwich artists. And like, it's not a these hot guys thing. Exists. It's a pee pee funny thing. Yes. It's that simple. Again, you want to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, I don't know on the Kinsey scale where it lands. <laughs> All I know is that these dudes exist and he is clearly one of those dudes. So that's the Madison Cawthorn. But gotcha, I didn't know okay. he was in a wheelchair because like he's really moving. Yeah. In that video. Yeah. I've never know, seen him in the house. He's never ended up on my radar. He's done nothing significant as a member of the house. This is the only way that I've known him. Um, yeah, he is. He is a very a America burger. first a uh, uh, young guy, but he, I think he still has committees. I don't think he got Marjorie Taylor green. I've never seen him on a committee. Like if he's in one, he's not asking good questions. He's completely yeah. insignificant, but now he's just the most entertaining thing in Washington. And Great. I've enjoyed all of these scandals. I enjoyed the scandals. Like who is it? Uh, was it, what was the guy that, that turned out he was fraternizing with a Chinese spy? Oh, Swalwell. Swalwell. Yeah. That was delicious. He's a, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, did uh, you see the thing where he uh, uh, gaslit a dude and then exposed him on Twitter? So it was just some dude that was in his DMs or in his, uh, 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 you know, mentions on Instagram or whatever. and was like, you this Chinese spy, blah, 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 blah. And then Swalwell DMs him. And it's like, hey, man, uh, 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 what's going on? Like, like, uh, I don't know why you're so angry. And he's like, oh, is that really you? That's crazy. And he's like, oh, where do you live? He's like, oh, I'm in Canada. And he's like, oh, I have family in Canada. And like gets all this personal information about him and then posts it on the Internet as if he's the good guy Ugh. of like, like I did heroic work. I doxed a Canadian. This <laughs> random Canadian. Well, and the reason I know he's a just because after the Chinese spy thing, he was part of that second impeachment and he was just so high and mighty and gross. And yeah, he's got no shame. I'll tell you, that incident made me like the Chinese regime a lot more. Okay. They I, were I, sending well, over honeypots for our benefit. And I feel like that's a, that's a measure of respect between nations to send spies to bang politicians. The Russians did that for a long time. Hats off, Russians. Thank you very much. And a lot of the stuff China was doing was all by the Internet. And I was like, that's not respectful. Sending other honeypots over. That was a tip of the hat. Um, hmm. So real quick, uh, I want, I, I'm, I'm breaking honey news pots here. Honeypots is gender neutral. <laughs> could be either way. Maybe I'm a honeypot. You don't know. Uh, you could be. Uh, I was thinking, like, are there gay honeypots? I'm like, why not? Oh, I'm sure there are. That's what that look I'm on my sure face. There are. I know, they're like the, the most yeah, valuable they're the best because you can get the blackmail <laughs> on the Republican oh, senators. Jesus. Yeah. No, the gay honeypots. <laughs> those are like the elite like those are like the, the 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 big ones. Firemadison.com back online, but the video was gone. So that someone's got to have grabbed it though. All right. If somebody has the videos, Ken can see it. Please <laughs> send it to justinrobertyoung at gmail.com and uh and, and we will get Jen to see it for, for the next uh episode, which which brings us to to this. Is is there gonna be another episode of of this on its own feed i mean i think so yeah i mean we, we have to this no, has, we, have, we, have, we have to pay off this gen sees the the the, the fully unblurred madison <laughs> cothorn video bit yeah unless i see that i'm out that's it there's that's right, my life if you want this to continue then you need to get us the unblurred madison Here's, cothorn could, video could i want cut, cut to Jen looking at her phone going, there's no peen. I will it, say that. It looks like How is there no Justin peen? is dressed up like a congressman and there's some <laughs> crying <laughs> Jimmy Stewart character. I think <laughs> what is this business? Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. It was edited by Brett Stewart. You can uh, email us, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit the show up on Twitter. PX3Tweets. You can find me live on Twitch Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. PX3Live.com. You can share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy at PX3Podcast.com. And you can get all your merch, your PX3-related merch at PoliticsMerch.com. If you'd like to support me with a one-time donation, especially while I'm out on the road. In fact, if you'd like to earmark any one-time donations specifically to bartenders you can do so paypal.me slash payjury venmo justin-young-20 cash app px3 cash and checks can be sent to p.o box 153184 austin texas 78715 again that is post office box 153184 austin texas 78715 
Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus episodes per week covering all the news that we missed during our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. V-Guard, Alexis, Neil of Neils, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Double K Ranch, Amanda, Yield Pinball Shop, John, DP4 Bongo, Neemeister, Nick's Horseless Diner, Catherine, Persons Familiar with the Matter, and Vote for Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. 100 Mile Runner, Edison, up, down, up, down, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B.A. Start. I swear to God, the guy who did this, Severio, my friend Severio, who I've known since I was, I think, 13, uh, uh, said, hey, is it okay if, if I make my name the Konami code? And I'm like, oh, LOL, sure. And I've tripped over it every single time. So thank you, Severio. Dr. G, Headphones Neil, Charles, Darren, Alex, owner of Stronger Now Gym in Atlanta, Idris Arslandian, Blue Front and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Diana Shrill Shrieks, Miranda Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Redneck Tech is awesome. David, Brad, Richard, D. Laser, Just Another Pilot, Middle-Aged Mike Who Loves Frank Got Abducted, Utah Jimmy Montana, The Gen, Adam L., D. Really, Chopper, J. Pink, Andrew, and Joshua. You want your name read? Only one place to do it, and that is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. I'm out to the Keystone State, baby. I'm going to be driving around, finding all these events, Getting that sound for you, Dr. Oz, Dave McCormick, Kathy Barnett. Who the hell is Kathy Barnett? We don't even know. We don't even know. Apparently, the secret to her success is that she's effectively been been a, a tag team uh, campaigning with a, a, a dude who is to the very far right uh, amongst the governor's candidates, and both of them have risen in the polls. So... We are going to find out Team Trump versus Club for Growth. That's another big battle. Just happened in Ohio. Trump notched a win there. Can Club for Growth get one back over him by knocking off Dr. Mehmet Oz? He's got 46% disapprovals, but by far the highest name recognition. Oh, baby. Back on the road. That's what you're going to get next week. Till then, your old pal Justin Robert Young saying uh, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this is the only program that dares discuss all three. you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.